This week is sponsored by IRM UK, a great data governance conference. Honestly, possibly the most stacked data governance conference I've ever seen, but uh, that's going to be in the UK in mid-March. There are lots of great speakers, including past Data Mesh Radio guests like Kendall Mari, Ole Ulysen Bagnu, Vanessa Erickson, Liz Henderson, and the data governance coach herself, Nicola Askham. We're going to be having uh, three episodes this week, two interviews and a panel on around data governance and MDM and things like that when it comes to uh, data mesh and kind of modern approaches to governance. So you can get a 10% discount to the conference if you use the code DM10, or you can just check the show notes for more information. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in ha- founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Get ready for an unparalleled experience in the world of data. Join us in London for IRM UK's Data Governance and Master Data Management Conference Europe, happening from the 11th to the 14th of March 2024. Immerse yourself in five dynamic learning tracks and explore real-world applications of master data management and data governance. With case studies and contributions from world-leading organisations, including Accenture, Bearing Point, BT, Capgemini, and many more. Plus, you'll get ample opportunity to forge invaluable relationships with over 250 attendees from across Europe and beyond. Don't miss this opportunity to elevate your understanding of data governance and master data management. Visit irmuk.co.uk forward slash DGMDM to view the full agenda, meet the speakers, and register today. Episode 286, Mastering Master Data Management in a Modern World. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Sue Hewins, Director of Data Governance and Product Data at Elsevier. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views on the episode. So we'll use the phrase MDM to mean Master Data Management throughout the episode, 
I'm imagining most people are familiar with MDM and master data management. Some key takeaways or thoughts from Sue's point of view. Number one, at the end of the day, if you want to, t- to do data governance well, it's about the people. Go talk to them, find out their specific needs and desires, and work to tailor your language and presumably your application of, pos- of policies when possible to their actual situations. People want good data. Help them actually get there. This doesn't have to be that complex. Number two, relatedly, get good at telling stories about data work. Get people to lean in and get them involved. Personalize your communication. I know people want kind of one specific thing to say to everyone. It doesn't work. Number three, while policies and standards are useful, they're about creating better data for the organization. Try to leverage them as a carrot instead of a stick. Number four, potentially controversial, don't talk about someone owning data. That's scary. Ownership is scary to most. Find ways to get them excited about owning the data without making it scary and talking so much about specifically the word ownership. Number five, the key to doing data governance well is getting people to actually care. We need them to care about the data because others have, you know, have to use it. And that means the people are the most important focus. Number six, data governance is too focused on governance, and that means oversight. The word governance has a bad connotation for a reason. It can make many potential allies actually uncomfortable and shy away from working with the governance team. So governance folks have to really make it less scary. You have to put in the work to do that. Number seven, don't focus so much on the data aspects of data work when talking with stakeholders. It's about achieving outcomes through data, not data work itself. Focus on what gets your business partners excited, and that's unfortunately usually not the data itself, is it? Number eight, it's easy to fall into thinking about what you want from others in governance, but where you can add far more value starting with what others want from you and working back towards solutions that accomplish both your and their goals. Number nine, potentially controversial, prioritization is crucial. A good method is looking for who shouts the loudest for help. They are those ones that are ready to lean in and are more likely to be leveraged as your governance advocates once you help them. I think this is potentially controversial because a lot of people don't like the who shouts loudest method, but it's, inter- it's interesting to consider. Number 10, the two big reasons MDM initiatives have historically failed are number one, not having the governance, quality, and metadata embedded into the actual data and the data work. And two, striving for quote unquote perfect data, that single golden record kind of thing. Number 11, relatedly in data, we don't need perfection. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. We need good enough, and we need to reflect the realities that our world is ever-changing, and there are multiple perspectives on the same data that can all be right and correct, even if they don't fully exactly agree because you're looking at things from a different view. Number 12, it's easy to lose people if you start talking the ones and zeros of data. Focus on finding stories that resonate with people. If they see the value of the work, you have a much better chance of getting them to actually do the work necessary to create that value. Finally, number 13, MDM and data mesh should be all about, quote, 
ensuring that you get the right data for the right purpose at the right time for the right person. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Sue Hewins here, who's the Director of Data Governance and Product Data at Elsevier. Uh, to be clear, though, she's only representing her own views. And we're going to be talking a lot about um, a lot of things relative to data governance and, you know, which is kind of the, the topic for the week, obviously, with doing the IRM week. But we're going to be talking about what have we historically done in data governance and how we keep repeating these same mistakes and how do we move away from that? But how do we not, you know, cause way more confusion and issues and everything by trying to just completely reinvent versus make the pivots? How do we move away from that appropriately? How do we think about MMDM, modern master data management? Like, what are we actually trying to do? What do we need to achieve and how do we move away from these legacy concepts uh, that are embedded in MDM that aren't that helpful? And what are we actually trying to achieve with MDM, right? It's not to do MDM. Maybe that is a checkbox for certain people, but like, what are we trying to do? And and then how do we think about MDM and data mesh? And, and especially, how do we start to think about federating ownership? You know, there needs to be stewardship, but we've had this historical context of what is a steward and that definition hasn't really changed. So how do we think about what we need to do to actually move forward and accomplish again what we're trying to do rather than hit those checkboxes? But before we get into that, Sue, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. All right. Hi. Hi, Scott. And thank you very much for having me on the call today. Um, I'm looking forward to giving you my thoughts on these amazing topics. So I'm Sue Hewins. I'm a 26-year vet of data. I truly am a dataholic because I, I love it. I sleep, speak, eat, and uh, dream about it. You'll find me waking up in the middle of the night and writing down something that I want to tackle the next day. And it's always about data. Um, truly, I'm a nutcase. Uh, that being said, I've worked all over the world. Um, I've done multiple workshops, presentations, uh, keynotes, you name it, I've done it. And I've had the most amazing life of data, some of the most amazing stories, um, which generally require a bottle of wine for me to get through without breaking out into laughter or tears. Um, but yeah, that's it. I basically love the work I do. So therefore, I never work a day in my life, right? <laughs> don't, don't tell your your employer that. Well, we'll, we'll keep them off the... <laughs> They, they got to keep the, the money trade flowing. But um, so let, let's talk about, you know, like you said, you've been doing this for, for 26 years. So let's talk about what used to work versus what doesn't and what we need to reinvent versus what we don't. Right. I, I talk about this of baby and bathwater. How do we differentiate baby and bathwater? And how do we think about what are we actually trying to accomplish? Because I think in data, 
so many people have tried to follow patterns of everybody else instead of what are you trying to accomplish and then what part of the pattern actually achieves that versus what was uh, you know actually augmented to fit their specific circumstances. So I'd love to hear kind of what you think about are those historical mistakes that we keep making that we need to move away from and then we can talk about you know how we can start to move away from them. I'm not I'm not asking you to give everybody a magic wand to just fix all their data governance in in, in one fell swoop. Oh, wouldn't that be good? I'd love a magic wand. Could definitely do with it. I so so here's the problem. We've been doing data governance and we're very focused on data. But we're also focused on this word governance. And the problem with that word, and I, by the way, just so you know, I haven't been able to come up with a better word to use. And I think most of my other data governance colleagues sit in the same position. But what that word does is it strikes discomfort in the people that we're trying to deal with. And we're trying to get to do this data governance thing. So the first thing that happens is you you got somebody and you say, hi, I'm Sue, I'm the data governance director or, or you know, whatever I am, the manager. And you start to already see that their, their body language kind of, it, it changes and they start to roll their eyes a little bit and you can almost see the little thought bubble coming out, which goes, oh God, it's one of those people again. What are they going to make me do? Okay, so that's already the first problem with data governance is that we've already put our stakeholders, the people that we need to get comfortable with, on the back foot. And then we compound this error by being bloody data geeks. I mean, at the end of the day, as data people, we're really rubbish about properly communicating. The first thing we do is open up our laptops and we throw up seven spreadsheets and we say, look at this. Look how cool this piece of data is. And then the eyes that were just rolling into the top of their head, they roll all the way around. And the, the, the thing they say is, I, I'm really sorry, can't deal with you today. Can you make an appointment in six months' time? So you've lost your audience. So you've lost your audience. You've lost the opportunity to share with them the value that data brings to their specific job and that the outcomes that they will get from nurturing this data better will be supremely useful and give them opportunities that they haven't thought about before. So this is what we've been doing for 30 years. We've also compounded this by actually going, I'm going to build you a policy and I'm going to build you a standard and you're going to adhere to it. So there comes in this governance thing, this regulations thing, this law. And data governance is actually less about that and more about getting people in the organization to look at their data and go, I really need to look after it because if I don't, A, I can't use it properly, but then so can Joe down the road who's going to use it in a different matter. So this is what we've this is why we keep saying this is a definition of insanity. I'm going to keep hiking pro- pro- principles and processes and policies at people and I'm keeping talking at them rather than helping them understand the story behind what data can do for them. Hopefully that's given you sort of some idea. I, I almost think like in the US there's this concept of a guidance counselor and it's always a, a joke in in movies and things like that. And it kind of was in my high school too, where 
Uh, they didn't give good guidance or anything. But that seems to be like what we're trying to do is guide them to the right path. But one question I have in there is you you talked about understanding how data can be helpful to them in their role. You know, there's this this thing of meet them where they are versus both people kind of coming you know, 50% of the way, or I always say at least everybody should go 70% of the way because you think it's a straight line where you're meeting where you are, but it's much more of an angle. And then you're like, oh, we actually can actually meet um, somewhere in the middle, even though we've both traveled further than we thought. Um, So like, how do you think about, you know, governance teams aren't huge. So how do you think about that challenge of, okay, I... I need to talk to this person in a way where they're going to see the value of this, but I also have to understand how this is going to be valuable to that person. Yet, do I have to do that for every single person in the organization? How do I how do I not become overloaded? How do I actually scale to do that? I know it's a very difficult question, but like, how do you think about even approaching that challenge? So, yeah, and I mean, it is a it is a challenge. So. One of the things that I do is I look at everybody I talk to with the focus of what is it they want from me. It's not about what I want. My job isn't to make things right for me. My job is to get people to care about the data so that they automatically look after it. Um, So for me to do that, every person I meet, I need to look at them and go, what do they want out of me? What are their expectations of me? I know what mine are, but what are theirs? Very often, that means that I've got to suck it up and walk in their shoes. One of the best things that I ever did was I spent a week in a call center with a team of people who were the call center agents, and there was a massive data issue that was happening across the whole organization for the specific call center's um, customers. So basically at that stage they were saying uh, 60% of, of products are not getting to the customers, you know, and that was quite a massive amount of money that was being invested in trying to sort this out. So I'd listened to everybody, I'd heard all of the people whining and complaining and carrying on, and then I thought, well, maybe I should go to the source of the data and see what happens. So one thing I did learn, I never, ever want to be a call center agent. It's not a job I would ever want. But the second thing I learned is how amazingly sneaky these call center agents were. The interesting things they did when they were doing their job, most of it was because they had these metrics that they had to meet. And because these metrics were slightly unbalanced, they weren't able to take the necessary amount of time to do the job properly in the first place. So I spent a week with them. I learned what it was they were doing. I learned how they were doing it. I learned the sneaky things they did to make it work in a system that they hadn't had any input into. And then I went back and I worked out what else needed to be done. So this is the one thing to do. Walk in the person's shoes. You'll never get a better education on why they're having problems than doing that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is about prioritization. So you're absolutely right. If I had to walk a week in everybody's shoes, I would never do anything but walk a week in everybody's shoes. I'd never get any work done. So 
even if my team is small, we start to prioritize through the team members. So, and also I use the personalities of the team to help as well. So in my team, I've got a bunch of different people. I've got a bunch of different personalities. And some of those personalities work better with one group of people than another group of people. So I kind of target the person to the group of people that I wanted them to deal with and get them to do the walking as well. So instead of me doing all the walking, there's a whole group of people doing the walking, but it's focused so that they have an interest in the problem. They have empathy um, and a connection relationship with the people they're talking to. Then when we bring it all back to us, we're able to share these stories and this knowledge and this wealth of experience that we've gained. And by doing that, we can take the, the data governance structure to the next level, which is how do we help them look after their data better? My job isn't to fix the data. It's to help them get the data being better because once they have that investment into it, and part of that investment is that we've been nice enough to go and spend time with them and really hear their frustrations rather than have it in a Teams meeting and only pay half attention because we're busy scribbling or we're looking at the next meeting or something like that. So those are some of the mechanisms that I I use. And prioritization is a massive, massive opportunity. Um, to do that, though, it's about who is screaming the loudest, how am I going to get them to say nice things about me and my team after I've helped them? Because if they say nice things about me and my team, it helps me to get to the next person who has maybe not been as excited about meeting me as they should be. I mean, because everybody wants to meet me, surely. Well, no, really not everybody, but you know what I mean. So it's those kind of things that I use to prioritize as well. Because I have a I have a broad reach. I have this whole thing. Data governance must work. But to make it work, I've got to te- to get people involved. It's not the data, it's the people. I think that's a, a funny thing of, you know, whoever screams the loudest, we shouldn't necessarily do who screams the loudest for prioritization in certain instances. But when we're thinking about data, especially around building momentum. Whoever is screaming the loudest are the ones that are leaning the farthest forward. They're the ones that are going to actually engage with you. And I, you know, I have this problem when people are thinking about what should be my first use case or my first couple of use cases with data mesh. And they go, I should go for the most value. And it's like, well, if that person's not leaning in or if it's the biggest challenge and you don't have the momentum built up to actually tackle it. You're just, that's not the right prioritization category. So I, I like that a lot. And I think that investigative um, aspect is can be really interesting for data, even if it's qualitative instead of quantitative and, and all of that. So but like, I think a lot of what you're talking about is, especially when you were saying we need to, our, your job isn't to own the data for them. It's to enable them and get them to own it in the right way. How do you think about actually having those conversations with people? Or how do you think about this? I think this transitions well into that concept of what is modern master and data management instead of, you know, all of this must be, you know, perfect and it must be this way and it must be that versus like, what are the actual realities of the world? How do we, you know, 
make this something that can actually work for our organization. How do you think about that concept of moving yourself towards that, not just saying, okay, yesterday we did it this way, today we're doing it this way. Like, how do you think about that, that fun evolution and, and getting people bought in that this is going to, this is actually different this time instead of this is just a different set of policies. (laughs) Yeah. And that is a big challenge, but part of that challenge is getting people to agree that perfection isn't what we're aiming for. Because if we're aiming for perfection, you can forget it. We ain't going nowhere. We'll never get there. A lot of the reason that that, that, that the legacy master data management um, projects, programs, whatever you want to call them, fail, it was two parts. One is that they didn't have governance and quality and metadata embedded. But the second part of it was that they, no, we're going to be perfect. We're going to have this golden single record. Good luck on that. How do you, you know, it's all very well to say, well, we can use, oh, the, the first, the, the, the most recent date is the most important one, but it's not necessarily the truth. And because we kept going and banging on about single truth, single golden record, you know, all of these customer 360, a term I absolutely loathe. Rem, it is my personal opinion. I still loathe it. But the point is that we spent so much time trying to be perfect. We forgot that under no circumstances can we ever get perfect. What we've got to get to is that this fits our business needs and our business users are able to do their job better and better and better. So as a data person, we typically want perfection. Oh, no, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be 100% perfect. Fine. But you can't get that unless you've got everybody else on the journey of doing it step by step, little piece by little piece. Great example is those people who are at the front of the the, 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 the data life cycle going, okay, I'm now capturing a new customer. But very typically, they're going to be typing stuff on a, into a screen if they don't have fancy processes around getting in and from paper, and they'll make a mistake. It's fingers. It's human. I make mistakes very occasionally. I'm about 99% perfect. So on the odd day I make a mistake, nobody teases me about it because they're all terrified I'm going to bite. I don't bite except on a Sunday, but I thought I'd just mention that. But here's the thing. They make mistakes. Now, typically, they then shove it off to the next person and that's it. It's out of their head. They're on to the next thing. What we need to be doing, and this is whether it's master data management, data governance, data quality, metadata, data mesh, you name it, any of these words that we typically use every day, we've got to get people to care. We've got to get people to think, if I do this, is this good enough for the next person? I mean, let's take a roundabout here in in the UK, for example. Now, having not lived in the UK from my teenage years to my somewhat adult years and coming back again. Um, And I lived in a country where there was only one town that ever had any roundabouts and there was no directions on it. So everybody was a free for all. But here it's quite regimented. It took me months to actually work out that I've always got to remember to look to the right. And if there's somebody close enough, I can't go. So it's all about me looking at the risk, deciding if the risk is going to be worth it oh, he's not close enough, I can go and pop into the roundabout. Oh, and by the way, I use roundabouts as mechanisms to make me find my way. I don't use them as 
get on a road and get off a road because I'm I'm a bit navigationally challenged. So even if my sat nav tells me to go some way, I'll often lose it and have to go around and round and round again. I don't think people here appreciate that, but I'm just saying I'm a little bit dumb that way. But here's the thing. I had to learn the rules and I had to learn to make sure that I was looking at how did I care for that person over there? Because if I didn't care for that person over there and he hit me, I was obviously not caring for myself as well. So I take that sort of thought process. And by the way, everybody on the radio, I'm talking with my hands and only Scott can hear me. Okay. So I'll try really hard not to. No, it's not going to happen. So I'm going to talk with my hands. But at the end of the day, you need to get down and go, okay, this is data that's important, but it's not just important to me. It's important to the person next to me. It's important to that other department. And I need to make sure that I give the best I can. Because when we get to something like master data management, it becomes a lot easier when I already know that the data has been cared for before it gets to me. And I can start to look at, yeah, let's not gather this single source of the truth because that may not be the right way for my organization to go. But let's look as to how we can provide the appropriate value so that people know what data is the best data they can use for their activity or their task. I think I've got a couple of two things that I would say as as uh, reactions to what you were talking about is one is is data is a team sport, right? So exactly of yeah. the, like we have to watch out for each other. And then you were kind of talking about this. MDM was all about the benefit, right? M- Legacy of MDM was all about the benefit instead of the cost benefit of, you know, we wanted to get to perfect because that would be the biggest benefit if if all of our data was perfect. But the cost of getting it there, you know, um, Scott Hawkins on a very early episode, I think episode 48 or something, um, uh, which is funny to say is a fairly, very early episode, but we're, we're coming up on 300 here. So um, he was talking about at ITV, they were trying to get a unique identifier for each customer and, you know, whether that was customer at household level or individual or anything like that. And the cost of going from zero, you know, zero percent to 98 percent. We think that this is a unique identifier and we think we've got this to 98 percent. It was the same cost as going from 98 to 99 percent. And they said, is that incremental one percent worth the cost? I said, absolutely not. And then they were like, we we kind of made the joke of going from 99 percent to 100 percent. And then, it, it, you know, it was, uh, you know, another log factor of a, another, you know, 100x the cost to go from that. And so you think about what is good enough, but how do you think about having that conversation with people? Because people historically that aren't data people have thought as data is either right or wrong. And, and I think this this kind of comes into that question of what are we trying to achieve with MDM? You said it a lot of it of we're trying to get to the benefit. We're trying to make this so that people can use the data. We're trying to get it so people care enough because they understand that that data is used by other people. It's not just that we're collecting data for the sake of collecting data, hopefully. But like, how do you think about actually having these conversations? And maybe we could talk about the ones who own the data and the ones who leverage the data about like, data isn't perfect, get used to it, you know, but without being that grumpy, maybe of a statement. I'm, I usually use a little bit more of a grumpy statement, but like, how do you think about 
having those conversations to get people to understand that this stuff isn't that black and white. It feels like it should be, but data really isn't. And data doesn't tell you black and white. And it's also not black and white around what you can trust and why and, and use it and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Stories. You have to personalize it. You've got to give people a story that they can get involved in. And I mean, the black and white thing is the fact that if you speak to anybody about IT, they almost immediately in their mind see one of these pictures that has zeros and ones all over it. So when they see that, that this image that they've got in their head is, oh, well, it's data, it's IT, therefore it must be made of ones or zeros, therefore it's yes or no, black or white. The problem with that is that we've embedded this image into so many people's minds. What we've got to do is we've got to replace that image with stories and visuals about what happens to good data. You know, how good data, and we call it good data, let's not call it perfect data because there's no way, perfection doesn't exist, as I said, except for me, and even I'm only 99%, and to go to the 100% is way bigger of a cost than I want to go for. But that being said, we're looking for good data. We're looking for data that we can trust when we have to make a business decision. So how do we we, we we talk stories, we tell tales, we tell once upon a time in in you know in in this company or you know once upon a time at Bandcamp is a, a great a way of change doing stories that one of my data colleagues shares a lot. And I absolutely love listening to him because he can make a story out of anything. Um but this is it. It's who who's the person in front of me? What will they engage with? And what is the story or stories that I can tell about data in such a way that I don't mention data, I don't mention Excel, and I don't mention perfect? And by doing that, I'm, I'm engaging. And this is all it's about. It's that engagement. you know. And, and everything I do every day that I do it, I look towards what is the engagement I'm going to get. So what is my benefit? And it is getting engagement, getting people to trust and to actually not just trust me, but to trust that the decisions they are making are based on good insight, good information that they have received or are looking at. You know, I mean, one of the biggest complaints that we ever get when we're looking at governance or master data management or any of these is, oh, um, I get this data and then I have to spend 80% of my time running around making sure that it's actually the right data before I give it over to my manager who then starts to question me whether it's actually right or not. So I spend the next 20% of my time justifying the 80% of my time I spent running around looking for the right data. That is such a normal complaint that we get. But think about what you could do if you didn't have that 80% running around doing data. Imagine a world where you could pitch up to your desk on a Monday morning and your weekly report pops up in your desk and you look at it and you go, oh, perfect. Hey, Joe, boss, here you go. And he goes, thumbs up, and that's it. Imagine a world like that. But what we need for that is good data. We need to be able to trust that we've got the right stuff. 
And perfection, as I said, perfection isn't guaranteed. But we can get close to what we need that makes our purpose suitable. So I'm going to ask you an insanely difficult question here, uh, which is, well, how do we push that ownership upstream and get everybody's like, I'm already overloaded. I can't own this data for the people downstream. So like, especially as a data governance person, how do you think about what can you change to get that person upstream? You know, you tell somebody, wouldn't it be great if you could just use this data? Well, yeah, obviously, right? Yes, it would be great if I didn't have to do this. Well, why aren't you doing that for the person downstream? Well, because I don't have the time to do it for the person downstream. And then you go to the person upstream of them and they go, I don't have the time to do it for the person downstream. So like, how do you think about having that conversation to, to get that to change in an organization? Like, how do we think about if somebody's listening and going, yeah, 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 I get this, but I don't have any control over this. Like, what would you talk to them about that can get them moving forward? Because again, I think this is the crux of, of governance, or maybe we start to call it data guidance, or we start to call it something different of like, you know, but what are we, we're trying to accomplish making it so data has far more value and is far easier to leverage for people. Part of that is having actual ownership. But, you know, we talk about this with a lot of people with data mesh. Oh, I don't have the ability to focus on this. Yes, you're telling me I should, but you have to go and blow out a lot of the other stuff I'm doing so I can learn how to own data, not just spend the time to own it. I don't get to go from, I didn't own it, now I do. I have to learn how to do this. So like, how do you think about having those conversations? Again, incredibly difficult question. If you have the magic wand, like let, let's go ahead and use that. But outside of that. Oh, uh, again, no magic wand. But one of the things that I avoid talking about is you own this data. Because again, that's a really scary subject to raise. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't touch the data. Well, it doesn't mean you don't own it. You know, I mean, how many times do you hear that in 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 conversations that 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 you have around the organization? And it's like, oh well, I mean, I've got a on one on my roadmap. I've got a whole activity there that talks about data ownership, and I'm trying to work out how to reword it so that it doesn't sound so nasty. So, I mean, this is the first thing. It's really about being very careful about not using words and language that are trying to push something onto somebody. You can't push data governance. You've got to get people to want to do it. They've got to be excited about doing it. And I often use an example of health and safety. So go back in time 50 odd years, okay? And you went into your office and health and safety was not even a thought. Yeah, there was never a chance. If you see cables running all over the, 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 the ground, you used to have to step over them. And if you didn't and you kicked it and you fell over, tough. You know, put a bandage on and move on kind of thing. All of these things were very much the norm 50 odd years ago. And when people started talking about health and safety, it was incredibly hard to get people to buy into that. Because it's never going to happen to me. You know, I'm not going to fall over. My computer screen doesn't have to be a specific kind so that my eyes don't get burnt by the end of the day or whatever. Um, 
um, oh, we're going to have a fire, who cares? We'll all run for the windows or something. And these were all things that people were thinking of. What was happened over the time is that there's been this change that now on every floor of every office that you go to, there'll be a champion, there'll be a fire warden, they have a bright orange or a bright yellow or a bright pink, even a bright green jacket hung over the back of their chairs. There'll be gathering points where you can go when you know that you're in trouble. You know, there are, if, if you have a disability of some kind and you need help, you'll have a buddy who will take you to a specific point where you can be looked after in a, in a, in a more comfortable way for you. Um, you don't see cables running around on the floor anymore. Your, your computer screens are built so that they don't affect your sight, your vision. All of these things, I mean, and all of this working from home, I have to complete a working from home assessment on a quarterly basis where I go in and I have to say, yes, I'm still happy. Yes, my chair works for me. Yes, my desk is suitable. Yes, I have time off to eat my lunch, whatever the case may be. That is, it is maturity, it's growth, but it's also helping people understand that this is important for them. It's about it's about understanding people are typically out for themselves and how do I make that out for themselves work for them? And it's a hard job. It's going to take ages still and it's one step at a time. You know that whole consultant thing about you can't eat an elephant in one sitting? It's true, you can't. And especially if the elephant is still alive, you're certainly going to get into trouble trying to take a bite out of one. But I, I think that is, again, that magic wand of I, I want you to tell me exactly what I have to do instead of I, I want you to tell me how to think about what you're trying to achieve and give me some approaches. And then I have to understand what is changing and I have to adapt it to my organization. That's not something people want, right? They want you to tell them, here's, <laughs> here's what, what we're trying to do. So it, it is, I know some people are frustrated by it, but I think it is. It it reminds me a lot of the, the data mesh conversations of people are like, I want you to tell me how to do data mesh. And it's like, that that's not really like, I can give you multiple approaches. I can give you multiple thoughts. I can give you, you know, even who should, who should be your initial data product developers is a conversation where there's three reasonably good answers and it's what works for your organization. So I, I, I like that we you're you're being realistic and saying it's going to take time it's going to take effort um some people don't want to hear that but how how do you think about like i mean we we can either wrap this into thinking about mdm and data mesh and how do we actually kind of head down that path or we can talk as well i think uh, maybe an, an an interesting subject if you'd prefer to to stick on this a little bit more is how do you get approval how do you get buy in that this is what you should be focusing on from the rest of the organization. Like, how do you get the the actual uh, budget and things like that? So whichever way you want us ahead as we, we wrap into the episode, I know both are fun, difficult challenges, but like, do you want to finish with talking about MDM and, and data mesh and how it's, it's crucial in that, that aspect? Or do you want to talk about like, how do you actually get the money to do this, which, which, which sounds more interesting to you. Neither. The more important one is, is the money. 
but that is even more difficult. So let's 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 take, talk about data mesh. So I mean, data mesh as a concept is not a bad concept. It's about a holistic sort of view of how are you going to manage your data that you're going to bring a level of self-service to it. So that's kind of like this this overarching, very, very quick, Sue's opinion on data mesh. Well, Sue's view on data mesh, I'm not going to give you an opinion because I don't know enough about it to give you an informed opinion. But that being said, one of the key components of putting your data into this whole meshy structure is why would you put crack data in? You know, if you don't make sure that your data that is in this thing and is now available for everybody to use via data products, etc., is not in a fit state, you are setting yourself up for the worst kind of failure. And if you fail at this once, nobody's going to give you another take, okay? Because this is big. This is bigger than just governance or quality or this or the next thing. So master data management inside of data mesh is ensuring that you get the right data for the right purpose at the right time for the right person. And to do that, you have to have governance. You have to have quality. You have to have metadata, data lineage, all of these things. I love discussions where we're talking about what does this data mean? I mean, one of my favorites is we're still trying to decide what a data product is. I've heard so many definitions of data product. I want to pull my hair out. I want, in this instance, I want to be the customer saying, tell me what it means. I don't want to have to think. I want you to tell me what it means. Because then if you tell me what it means, I could implement it. But being Sue, the data person that loves data, the data geek, the dataholic, I know that there isn't necessarily one answer. There's a multitude of answers. But in terms of data mesh, all of these key elements have got to be in place and working so that that can be successful. And how do you think about, again, that evolution? Uh, because it isn't you know, and then there was data mesh, right? Like it wasn't, it's not on the seventh day, Jamak proclaimed, although, you know, Jamak loves, the, loves quote unquote, you know, she, she finds it um, amusing yet disturbing how uh, people kind of see her as this uh, data prophet or something like that. Yeah. And she's just like, I'm just a person. Like I just, <laughs> but like, how do you think about evolving towards where this can be, where it needs to be, because exactly what you said, I, I think we can make mistakes in data mesh and and have it be okay, but that we give ourselves the understanding that people understand there are mistakes that are going to be made and that you aren't, you know, a year into your implementation and you've got these huge glaring errors versus, hey, we're not trying to eat the whole elephant in uh, with our first data product. Like we are trying to get something out there. We're trying to figure out how to do this. So like, do you have any tips or tricks as to communicate that to, to people? Because again, this becomes that huge, huge challenge. Yeah. It's about, again, going back and personalizing it. Um, the gre great example is, is having a child. I mean, Let's be honest, there are either no books about raising a child or there are 3,000 books about raising a child. And 
if you decided to read no books, you'll do whatever you can do. If you decide to read all 3,000, you'll never do anything because you've been given so many different ideas about it. So again, personalize it. Take it back to the person and work out for yourself what is it that they need to hear to make them want to do this because it is an evolution. It is It is something that they're going to have to want to do, want to be part of. And we will have that whole, is it the, is it the Gartner curve that talks about early adopters all the way up until you get to the, the late guys? I think it's Gartner. I can't remember offhand now. But at the end of the day, some people are going to be really excited about it early and they'll take it on. And those are the guys you get to be your evangelists and work with you, but with the same strategy, the same let's get people involved by telling them something that they can see for themselves. So if it's about child rearing or, I mean, oh gosh, learning how to ride a horse or in my, in my, in my, my life, I learned to ride a motorbike. And what was my process of doing that? And what has been the outcome of doing that? So I use something that's personal to that person to help them get along the, 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 the understanding that these things will be there, but we will have accidents along the road. And that I can vouch for because I fell off motorbike as well. So, you know, but again, personalize it. You have to know your audience because your audience will not get invested until such time as they can see a benefit for themselves, just themselves. But yes, there'd be great benefits for the organization, but a benefit for them. Yeah. It's it's funny. I I feel like we could do an entire episode on just telling stories of how do you personalize it. Um, unfortunately, we don't have time for that. But uh, I'd love to to kind of have that conversation at some point as well. Of like, how do we actually do that for people? But again, that is a little bit of the I want the magic wand as to oh, just tell me how to personalize it for somebody versus talk to them. But um, but so we, we, we've covered a whole heck of a lot of things. I know we're coming up on time. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to or any specific way you want to wrap up the episode? Um, we could probably talk for the next 20 years um, because there is so much around these topics. What I would say is if um, I'd love to come back again and talk about the data storytelling because that for me is really important. You know, I've learned over my 26 years that if I can't get into the mind of the other people, I can't be successful. It's no use me telling you, here's a policy, you will adhere to it. Because what's going to happen is somebody's going to show me a finger and they're going to say, pick one. Or they're going to say, thank you, stick it in their jaw and never deal with it again. So it's about that that. Getting people invested in what you're doing to bring success. And yeah, we're going to have mistakes along the way. We're going to stop and have to go, oh, crap, that didn't go right. We're going to have to go to people, hey, I'm sorry, things didn't work out that way, and this is why, and here's what we're going to change. Honesty, transparency, and trust. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's going to be a heck of a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place? Anything specific you'd like people following up about? Um, they can follow up on anything. Things that we've spoken about and things that we haven't spoken about is perfect. Best place to get me really is on LinkedIn. I will tell you, I am the only person of my name in the whole wide world. So the 8.2 odd billion people, there's only one of me. Um, and so it's not difficult to find me. 
On the downside of that, imagine if I tried to rob a bank. It wouldn't work because I couldn't point and say, hey, it was that other suit here because it won't be. So get me on LinkedIn and please feel free to invite me back. I love this. It was great fun. And uh, same here for the absolute unique name, which is, is is always a little interesting thing. I have all the Gmails that I want. You know, I can get any of them at any point. But well, again, thank you, Sue, so much for spending your time here today. I really enjoyed it and as well. Thank you, everyone out there for listening. Oh, thanks, Scott. It was really great to catch up with you. And I'm looking forward to doing this again. So I'd again like to thank my guest today, Sue Hewins, Director of Data Governance and Product Data at Elsevier. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.